X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's Monday, Memorial Day, May 25th. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. And a reminder, it is time for the best of Portland voting in Willamette Week. You can shout out to a bunch of our partners. We'll be sharing some of them that you can vote for. You can also vote for us. We've been recognized for the last five years in the best radio station category. Would love to be recognized again. You can check it out at xray.fm or go to bit.ly slash xrayfm2020. Today, back in the day, May 25th, 1972, Oregon's tallest building was dedicated. The 40-story Wells Fargo Tower in downtown Portland was the tallest building in Oregon. It was dedicated today, and it is still the tallest building in Oregon. You might have thought it was Big Pink, the U.S. Bank Corps building. That's about 10 feet smaller, apparently. And today is Memorial Day, a tradition that began after the Civil War and was made a federal holiday in 1971. Today honors those who have died in U.S. military service, and thank you to those who have fought against oppression, against the Confederacy, against the Nazis. One of the very earliest Memorial Day commemorations was organized by a group of freed slaves in Charleston, South Carolina, less than a month after the Confederacy surrendered in 1865. It was chosen on this day because it was not the day of any particular battle. And when we recognize it, we do it not to celebrate war, but to recognize those who sacrifice in a fight against oppression. From Eleanor Roosevelt, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. Sounds a little like Spider-Man. Today on The Local, we have a special focus on the 2020 primary, retrospective on the candidates who stepped forward and ran. Altogether, we connected with over 60 candidates in 67 interviews. And before we move fully forward to the general election, let's take a look back together. Our candidate coverage started back in October. We could be in studio together then. It was before the local was even a glimmer in X-ray's eye. We launched and ended the primary election season with Carmen Rubio, candidate for City of Portland City Council Position 2, now Commissioner-elect Rubio. Carmen will be the first Latina City Commissioner. Congratulations, Commissioner-elect Rubio. I'm running because I really believe that our City Council should be reflective of all of us in Portland. What are we missing? What are decisions that are being made by the city council? If we had nameless, faceless, personality-free robots <laughs> who are occupying those five chairs, uh, what would be missed or what is being missed right now? Because in your mind, it's as you mentioned, it's not sufficiently representative. Well, I think if you look at Portland um, and how it's changed demographically over the last um, 20, even 10, even five years, it's uh, who we look at, at to our city leaders are not reflective of who the Port Portland as a whole is today. And um, just look at our schools. Schools are an, an excellent indicator of what our emerging uh, civic, civically engaged public is going to look like. And our institutions aren't reflective of the young people coming up in the ranks, of the families that are um, moving to Portland because they want to live in this great city. And my goal is to do whatever I can to make Portland that much more reflective of the community that it's supposed to serve. 
And I'll ask, what are those kinds of things? What do we got to do to make it more reflective? Or what's at stake? So some of it, I, I, even without, I mean, I have to be, mm-hmm. I don't have to be too obtuse. I mean, some of it is, in fact, having exemplars, having having people who uh, share some degree of lived experience that right. make people feel like they belong, that That's help right. them imagine wielding power in the context in the city and the community where they live. Uh, what are some of the decisions in particular where you think that that set of considerations uh, is particularly important? Well, I think if you look at issues that are impacting us today, like affordable housing, homelessness, um, development in neighborhoods um, that are uh, non-traditional neighborhoods where Portland uh, city planners have traditionally focused on, um, that's what we should really be doing and looking at how Portland uh, where people are living, where where areas are for opportunity to bring in uh, neighborhood folks and communities in a different way to be part of the planning that's happening. Um, in the last 106 years, we've only had, I believe, eight women elected to city council and three people of color. And one of those is a woman of color, and that's uh, Commissioner Hardesty. And you cannot have a government that is reflective of everybody when you only have eight women in over 100 years. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that bringing in, as you mentioned, people with more lived experience, people who um, have experiences uh, as a low-income person, as a renter, uh, as an immigrant, um, working with uh, diverse communities or being a diverse person themselves, those are the kind of eyes that we need on policy so that the policy is more reflective and responsive to what people need now. And seven months later, we spoke with Commissioner-elect Carmen Rubio on Election Day about a race, why others should consider running for office. A year ago, I never would have seen myself, um, a full year ago, I never would have seen myself here. I was one of those people that said, never me. But, you know, there comes a time when, you know, you look about the world around you, you see what's happening, and leadership matters. And when you know, when you feel so compelled and angry look at that as a calling for service. That means that, that you should do something with, with that energy. Um, volunteer, get involved, sure, but push yourself to take leadership and to do something about it. I have such a profound and deep respect now for every single person that's made the, the hard decision to run for, you know, uh, run a campaign. And, um, it, you know, you, it is like the longest, most public, um, uh, most, you know, visible, exposing, uh, you know, job interview that you will ever have in your life. And it tests you and it tests your leadership and your leadership resiliency. And if you are not a better person at the end of that process, no matter the outcome, then you weren't, you weren't giving it your all, <laughs> you know, you, you, you didn't put it in what you really could get out of it. So uh, I encourage people to run. Um, we need good people to run. And um, that's only what's going to get us out of this, um, this darkness, this dark cloud that we're in. And I'm so heartened by all the people that are running right now. I'm just in awe of the incredible people that we see running. It's, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. It's going to be a, a transformative next set of years. We covered races from Portland to the county to statewide to federal representation. Let's listen in to a bit of an interview with candidate for Secretary of State Shamia Fagan as she was facing the very early days of running a campaign with social distancing and how progress could be within reach. And so before we move fully into the general election, let's take a look back as we asked candidates, who are you and why are you running? Who are you and why are you running? 
Well, I'm Shamia. I'm a state senator in Oregon. I've been in public service in Oregon since about 2011. I was first served on the David Douglas School Board in the state house and now in the state Senate. And Jefferson, as you know, the whole time I've been in public service, I've been really honest with Oregonians about my family struggles and where I come from. I grew up in eastern Oregon, Dufer and the Dow. My brothers still live in eastern Oregon in Pendleton and Stanfield. And my mom battled meth and heroin addiction for most of my life. My dad was a single parent. And, you know, my mom was homeless in Portland for many years. And when she finally passed away in October of 2014, she'd been clean for almost six years and was living in a little house that she owned in Umatilla. And the minister who performed her service, you know, said a line that, that I've really has stuck with me all these years where she said, you know, Trish reached the place of an ordinary life, a job and a house and a dog. But it didn't just happen to her. She fought for it with everything she had in her. And that is something that has informed my public service is the idea of folks out there not fighting for riches and fame and glory, but fighting just for ordinary. And I think what makes us able to fight and what motivates us to keep fighting is the knowledge that progress is within reach. And I think it's democracy at its core that keeps progress within reach for everyday people to believe that their community can be better, their lives can be better, their world can be better, and that progress is always within reach. And with democracy, we don't always get the candidates we want. We don't always get the policies that we want, but we always get to believe that the next time, the next election, that the progress is within reach. And so I think as the Secretary of State, there are a lot of roles that the Secretary of State does, and we are finding creative ways to explain those to people as we are social distancing in this campaign. But at its core, the most important function of the Secretary of State and what the Oregon Secretary of State shares with Secretary of States all across the country is safeguarding free and fair elections. Other states have a Secretary of State that, that does only elections while other people do state lands and auditing Whereas in Oregon, the Secretary of State does all of those things. But still, the one thing that we share in common across this country is the Secretary of State makes sure that we do free and fair elections. And I think now more than ever, we're seeing the need for that as, as other states start delaying their primaries. And we're really proud to have vote by mail here in Oregon. And this primary season brought some folks back to political campaigns. Candidates like former Multnomah County Chair Jeff Kogan and former Mayor Sam Adams. And here's a clip from our talk with Sam Adams. Yeah, I come back, you know, as a uh, with all of I've I've learned from around the world as, you know, a, a fresh thinking, uh, experienced per, uh, person devoted to local city civic life. Yeah. The uh, what are you proudest of in your terms as mayor and city councilor? Well, I think that you know when I was uh, mayor. Uh, with the worst recession since the Great Depression, um, we cut— Not your fault. Well, I would—I think there's some folks at Lehman Brothers and Wall Street that deserve <laughs> the bulk of that. I'm not and, saying and Portland some, Mayor isn't important. I'm yeah. just saying probably not your fault. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, you know, so we really had to cut the hell out of the budget, but then we also wanted to support the folks that are being hit hardest— by the recession. So we did things like, you know, investing over $11 million to help people stay in their homes, to increase services for those that were experiencing homelessness, um, and a bunch of other, supporting a bunch of other community-based services that that were being really hit with, uh, you know, requests for service like never before. But we also did innovative things like fast track, um, you know, three to five years worth of capital spending in the bureaus, the money was already there for projects uh, to be done in, a, in about a year and a half, yeah. which helped the local contractor community and those employed by it 
um, have work. And we as a city saved money on not having, you know, the paying the inflation rate that would have been over three to five years. So we did a lot of innovative things. The city's first economic development strategy that was really focused around equitable prosperity uh, in 16 years. Um, you know, I pitched Portland's goods and services all over the world uh, and with some success doing it differently than other mayors had done, like with Columbia Green, um, when, you know, when Canadia, uh, Canada Air opened their first I like Canadia flight. Air. It makes Canada more sense. Air. It makes the Canadian make more sense rather than just Canada. So we took a bunch of employees uh, to, uh, uh, to Toronto and I used my little cachet as the mayor of Portland to get into CEOs of major uh, building developers who yeah. are still developing buildings there, unlike here. And Columbia Green is a, was a great local startup, female-owned startup that does eco-roofs. Um, and she got her first contract in Canada for that, for a large uh, facility, and just kept rolling. That's the kind of thing. And then that money flows back to the city of Portland because she's headquartered here and her business has expanded. And while those comeback bids didn't end in victories, this was a year for some new faces, new faces like Con Pham, who was successful in her race in House District 46. Here's Con Pham, who's running now in the general election in a very strongly Democratic district. Well, I'm the only community organizer in the in the race. I have been organizing for two decades, and particularly here in the J District, the heart of House District 46. I, you know, the J District is one of the most diverse census tracts in the state, and it has one of the highest concentrations of Asians and Pacific Islanders, as well as many other immigrant communities. And I bring that experience of knocking on doors, having conversations with all the diverse communities that this that are in House District 46, and and I'm committed to bringing those voices, and not just bringing those voices, but actually making sure I'm bringing that communities that I've been organizing with for years now to Salem to make sure that we're, our stories, our experiences are really represented in the solutions and policies that are put forth in this really critical time now as we face an economic recession. We need to make sure that the people who are going to be hurt the most are are really considered and, and really leading the, the, the solutions as well. How does that manifest in policy differences? So certainly there are differences of representation, of lived experience, and some really valid kind of background human differentiations in any race, and certainly in this one. How does that play itself out in how y'all vote differently or how you'll prioritize issues differently? Where are some key issue differences? Well, in an economic recession, we're going to have to make decisions about who is going to be prioritized in the economic recovery. We're already seeing at the national level, as the House considers a stimulus bill, the ways in which corporations who have powerful lobbyists can can push to make sure that they get tax breaks, even as Oregon has the lowest, some of the lowest, has given some of the lowest tax rates to corporations already. They're getting huge tax breaks, but they're they're going to continue to push for those in the midst of crisis while while Oregon's most vulnerable families have to have to shoulder the burden of of joblessness and not and and have to have increasingly had to shoulder the burden of funding our social services our social safety net and right now more than ever we need to invest in our social safety net and corporations need to pay their fair share so i think it shows up in votes because i'm willing to fight you have to you have to think about who's going to fight for for working class families who who comes from working class you know working households that that knows the struggle of 
of, of working families and immigrants, and 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 that's that's how it shows up in in the votes. Not a new face, Loretta Smith, a familiar name to many of us, is still in the mix. Loretta was a former Multnomah County Commissioner. She jumped into the Portland City Council race position, too, after the sad death of Nick Fish. Loretta will be in a runoff now in August against Dan Ryan. And here's a clip from our interview with Loretta Smith. Actually, I wasn't planning on running. And then when I saw that um, Nick Fish had given the word that he was going to retire... I thought, wow, there's going to be a huge leadership uh, gap in someone who has experience and who um, has gotten things done for this community, and especially vulnerable communities like older adults, young people, and communities of color. Uh, we worked on several projects together. In fact, my first um, partnership with him when I first got into the uh, county commission was to uh, build up uh, Cully Park and to find funding. So I had to go in and uh, convince my colleagues that we needed to spend uh, county dollars on a city project. And they were not too happy about it, but as I explained it to them and said, look, this is a public health issue, and putting up Cully Park will actually um, help with this uh, physical fitness desert. And also, uh, we need to put a new park over this, uh, over this uh, dump that is now going to be um, a place where people can can play and, and 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 exercise, and they have sidewalks, and you know, folks can bring their kids to the playground. And so, I really convinced them that this was an opportunity, and I think that's what we're going to need. Um, we we we're going to need to get out of our silos. We're going to have to find opportunities where we can leverage each other's dollars to get the most bang for the buck, and. Understanding that and understanding the, the federal government and how it works since I worked for Senator Wyden for 20 years, and, and I was really involved with the appropriations process. So I think that having my background and track record of fighting for and pushing hard for policies that impact people of color, I think that is uh, something that is much needed on the, on the city council. She'll be running against Dan Ryan, who ran in that same district in that very crowded primary. And here's a clip from Dan Ryan with his vision for Portland. Yeah, well, I think the city just needs tested leadership. Um, I'm very calm under crisis. I mean, my God, I have six older brothers. Um, I have a track record of getting results with complex issues. The high school graduation rates really did increase when we did community focus. And I, you know, I just got people knocked on my door um, and they said they wanted a grown-up at this time, this is before COVID, I think um, it's also because I just be coming from 35 years of the nonprofit sector, you're so accountable for results where they literally won't fund you. And I've always liked how concrete the issues are and it really touches the lives of everyone every day. You don't become a part of a bubble. I've also always been a builder. I'm a change agent. That's just my story of my life. And you know, I think the city was in pain before COVID-19. And so people really wanted someone that was innovative and could think out of the box. It's time to really, I don't know, I think the ideology purity that we can get lost in, and now we have a shared pain, and it's really a great time for a connector who really thrives on testing and scaling up practices from the ground up. And I think finally, I don't know, I, I'm not, a, a, I've never been in the political space for too long. I really think we have to stop blaming 
and complaining and really bring people together. There's so much that we can agree upon. And part of that is setting up creative tension. The Portland nice thing doesn't work. The bubble doesn't work. You really need to bring people together that aren't usually sitting across from one another. And I think it's time to really bring back the public-private partnership, the innovation to take off. You know, solutions are out there. They're just not always in City Hall. And so I'm a firm believer in making sure that we listen to the wisdom on the ground and then scaling up um, and doing it with shared responsibility and shared accountability. And, of course, shared credit. Everyone likes credit. Candidates talk to us about vision and policy, also about values. Rima Gondor, candidate for Multnomah County Circuit Court judge, spoke to us about justice. You can't have justice without fairness, right, and equity. You can't have that justice without it. You can have fairness and not have justice. I mean, justice is, um, if you look at it at the very narrow definition of following the the exact law, there are plenty of unjust laws out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, unfortunately, a judge can't not apply the law, but um, there are guidelines that you can look at the whole picture and um, try your best to make it as equitable and just as possible. But the first step is you have to be able to have fairness and inclusivity mm-hmm. and equality. I mean, you, you know, if you take somebody who is hearing impaired and they can't hear the proceeding, um, I, I don't know how you get fairness or justice at that point. Or somebody who has a language, uh, who needs an interpreter um, and they're not treated uh, properly by the court and respectfully, you can't get justice. It was a pleasure to talk to the judges. So often those selections don't seem like they're done in the sun. Rima will be in a runoff with Adrian Brown for the judge position, and here is Adrian Brown with her views on justice. I think what's important for your listeners and the voters is everyone knows what it is, right? You know, you know what it is without even getting into the legal philosophy, and that is what's, what feels right. Mm. What, what feels like whether or not you've been treated fairly. And you, you, you go back to just how, you, how an individual feels when they're um, looking at a struggle they're facing personally. And they may feel like they didn't receive justice because they weren't heard, mm-hmm. they weren't treated fairly, or they weren't given a fair shake. You know, that's sort of our everyday understanding of justice. And it's no different in the courtroom. You know, someone who is before a jury, it's justice is making sure you have a jury of your peers, right? Um, if someone who's appearing before a judge, it's, it's making sure that, that they've had a chance to be heard. Um, one, of the, one of the things I learned very early on in, in the work I did um, uh, in the uh, case involving the city of Portland and policing practices um, at the systemic level, not at the individual officer level, but the systemic level on policy, was when we reached out to community members, and I interviewed, you know, well over a hundred community members. We had individual meetings, we had town halls, we had telephone calls, we had meetings with advocates and groups and organizations and law enforcement and elected officials. And at the heart of it, it was being heard. It was being given the chance to be heard. Some of these community members that we talked to had never felt like they had been heard to the extent that, that there was a need, a cathartic need for them to talk about injustices that they had 
seen and witnessed and felt themselves decades ago. Even though we couldn't resolve what happened decades ago, by listening to them, by understanding that history, we were able to help them feel heard for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so that stuck with me, that justice and being a good judge is understanding that need to be heard and also understanding the value of compassion and the complexity of individuals. Because you may not, as a Multnomah County Circuit Court judge, be able to give someone the entire day to be heard. Um, so it's, it's being able to understand that need and addressing that need and also understanding that you have to move the work of the court forward. And so you have to be able to administer that justice, that system of fairness, in a way that allows everyone to be heard. And um, that's the balance. That's where experience comes in. So um, I, I would just, you know, when, when, when thinking about that question, when thinking about, um, you know, who to vote for as far as what is justice, what is fairness, it's getting back to, does someone come at this with the experience that they will be able to see that from multiple sides, right? Because someone, someone in, that, in that system is going to leave and not feel like they got the result that they wanted. But do they feel like they were treated fairly? Mm. That is so important. And as a prosecutor, as a defense attorney, as a civil rights coordinator, I have always come forward to my work with the notion of, I need to be able to know I can go to sleep at night because I've done everything I could to make sure that this person that I'm helping and whatever role I'm in, have been heard. And if I did that, if I made sure I looked at all the evidence, interviewed all the witnesses, talked to all the different community members, even if at the end of the day someone's not happy with the result, they're going to feel like they got a fair shake. Throughout our interviews, candidates made clear what was at stake in the election. Mike Schmidt surprised a bunch of people around the country, running as a reformer and winning in a landslide victory for district attorney. He shared his vision for judicial reform. It's been so really reaffirming at a time when, you know, you can get caught up in the national politics and the grind in Washington, D.C., the gridlock between Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, what I have learned from this campaign, you know, I've like I said, I've been at this for over a year now. Um, I've been attending, you know, fundraisers and galas and, and, you know, community groups and neighborhood association meetings. Just any time I could get to a meeting where I could uh, meet people and talk with them and, and just hear from them. And then sometimes they could hear from me. And I think what really struck me the most is that there are just so many amazing people in our community that you know, criminal justice might not be their issue. It might be education. It might be health care. It might be access to health care. You know, whatever, uh, you know, immigrant issues, whatever the issues are, there are so many amazing people in our community working so hard um, to to help us all live in a, a healthier, safer, um, you know, place that, that we can all thrive. And it was just so, it was, it was very reaffirming for me to just see, like, I'm in my little world with criminal justice and I'm trying to do the reform thing. But there are so many people working on every aspect of, of our community, our state, to, to make this better for everyone. And it was, it was super cool. 
Mike Schmidt won that election. He will be the next Multnomah County District Attorney. Over the last seven months, we've met first-time candidates and returning candidates. We've talked about issues that matter, some that don't matter as much. We've heard dogs and chickens and children in the background as candidates ran campaigns from home. With each conversation, we've held pro-democracy values at the center. We've tried to ask for details, for plans, for some next steps. We hope it's been a dig into what's going on, but also at some moments a celebration of what is and what can be. The elections should be arguments, but at moments they should also be celebrations of democracy. And let's end as we began with Carmen Rubio with thoughts on celebration. Um, we're going to celebrate with, you know, our old uh, team crews uh, are coming to do a little toast with me later tonight. Um, so we're going to have a little celebration on my porch of a very socially distant um, six feet apart, just mini toast, and then everybody goes home. Well, Carmen, as we close that interview, it's just a huge thanks for committing to this campaign and to this community and all the ways that you have and you will. Uh, thanks for joining us on X-Ray today and sharing just a little bit of time. Oh, it's a, a very important day for you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody who ran, who joined us on the air, who put their name forward. Some of these races ended very close, demonstrating once again that every vote counts, every vote matters. Sarah Anarone didn't know when she went to bed Tuesday night whether she would end up in a runoff with the mayor or not. Turns out Mayor Ted Wheeler will have a challenger still in the runoff. It's Sarah Anarone. And we did talk to Mayor Ted Wheeler, who was dealing with the COVID-19 response at the same time he was running for re-election, which probably took a lot of time away from campaigning, but may also have impacted the election in a way favorable to the mayor. And of course, if you are in a retrospective mood, if you want to look back at any of this stuff, you can go to xraypod.com, look at the Vision 2020 series, listen to any of those episodes. Democracy never sleeps. We have now just a few months to engage in a runoff for city council position four between Loretta Smith and Dan Ryan. And of course, the general election in November, including runoffs for City of Portland Mayor, City Council Position 2, Metro District 5, Multnomah County Circuit Court, plus that statewide Secretary of State general election. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. You can rate and review the podcast. We didn't start the podcast in time to get nominated for Best Podcast, but if you want to vote in that Willamette Week Best of Portland, you can vote for X-Ray, and we hope you will. It's bit.ly slash xrayfm2020, or just go to xray.fm, or heck, go to the Willamette Week website. If you got story ideas, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. We can be together while we're apart. In the meantime, stay safe, stay connected, and thank you again, democracy. X-Ray.